Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Dale Carnegie once said, The royal road to a man's heart is to talk to him about the things he treasures most. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan, and that this podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, we thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format. We welcome your thoughts via email, messaging us at ChristianQuestions.com, Facebook, and our website chat board. So, Jonathan, what is the subject for today? Well, Rick, our question is, are your treasures really worth treasuring? And our theme text is found in Luke chapter 12, verse 34. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so it's about, are your treasures really worth treasuring? Think about your life for a moment. Think about those things, people, places, and experiences and memories that are most precious to you. The few thoughts at the top of this list are, in all likelihood, some of your greatest treasures. Now, think again about your life for another moment. Think about the things, people, places, experiences, and memories that you obsess about the images that you replay again and again in your mind and that that go round and round and round on that insatiable loop of conditioned and driven brain activity, the obsessions that top this list are in all likelihood your treasures as well. Kind of disturbing, isn't it? So what do we do about it? How do we learn to isolate and diminish those things which which we cherish but actually hurt us? How do we instead focus on and appreciate those items that bring us true honor, blessing, and joy? So, Jonathan, today it's all about treasures. Don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. So, we're going on a treasure hunt today, uh, but it's not going to be a typical treasure hunt And we're going to be finding a lot of stuff that may look like treasure, but really isn't. So fasten your seatbelts for that because there's a lot of things we're going to talk about, get very blunt about life, and look at what do we treasure, what should we treasure, and what are the differences. So Jonathan, first of all, let's get started doing this by just asking the simple question, what is a treasure according to Scripture? Well, Rick, a definition is a deposit, that is wealth, literally or figuratively. And the Greek-English lexicon defines it like this. The place in which good and precious things are collected and laid up, and the things laid up in a treasury, collected treasures. Okay, so a deposit or wealth and so forth and so on. And it's interesting, we're going to come back to this in a little while, but the Greek word for treasure is pronounced thesaurus. You know what a thesaurus is, right? (laughs) Absolutely. All right, we're going to get back to that in in a little while. But the idea of a treasure is a deposit. It's wealth. It's the place, a place 
It's like a storehouse, and it's the, the, the precious things that are in that storehouse. So the word can mean all of those things together. Let's, let's, let's take a diversion here right off the bat. Let's go to a soundbite from Aaron Janus, uh, Get Out of the Materialism Now. And this is a YouTube video, and boy, I'll tell you, if you watch the whole thing, Jonathan, you, you walk away from this thing feeling like, wow, I really have to reassess my life. This is just a little bit from her introduction about materialism in the world in which we live, and specifically in the country and in the, in the I will say, opulence with which we live. Let's listen. If you're watching this video right now, you are likely in the top 10% of the world's population as far as wealth goes. If you have clothes, food to eat, clean water to drink, a little bit of money and roof over your head, you have it all to the millions of people who don't have clean water to drink, who are so poor that they can't eat, who are in a part of the world that is such a mess that they can't create the life of their dreams there. They just have to scrape by to survive. It's survival of the fittest. And we're over here in America with the ability to create an amazing life of success and opportunity and reward if we just apply ourselves, if we just think about what we want and work at it. And that's incredible. And with basically the world in the palm of our hands, we're over here in first world countries worshiping things. And, you know, that's a very poignant way for her to end that little segment is we're over here in first world countries, in places where we have arrived and we have, we can see the, the fruits of our labors and all of those things. And we are worshiping things. And she's saying, wake up. There's more to life than that. And really, a lot of what she said is what we're going to be focusing on and talking about uh, as we go through treasures uh, today. So Jonathan, let's talk about the effects of our treasures that they have on our lives. And we're going to start out with what is kind of a harsh lecture from Jesus. Now, most of the time we think of Jesus and it's all, you know, wonderful and compassion and kindness. Well, listen to what he says here because it, he really gets to the point. This is Matthew 12, 34 uh, through 37. We'll stop after verse 35. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. So again, brings out of their treasure, their deposit, their wealth, their place in which they, uh, they, they, they put their precious things. And it's talking about the heart, and it's talking about our words, and it's saying is that our words come from our hearts. And he's saying the evil man brings out evil treasure. And that's not a very good thing. It's, it's, it's damaging because what, it's what's there and it's what's coming out to other people. Verses 36 and 37. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an account for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Okay, so Jesus is saying... He's narrowing it down. A lot of life, he's narrowing down to what we say. He says every careless word that people speak is going to be accounted for. So, so you look at this, you say, okay, well, what is going to be uh, my accountability? How many idle words have I spoken? And because his, his, his premise is that the idle words come out of the treasures of your heart. So if you're always spewing idleness... 
Jesus is saying, you have got a lot to account for. And folks, I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought to me. You know, it's scary to look at that and say, oh boy, you know, sometimes we, we talk about, I don't think about, I don't think, yeah, well, who's it going to hurt? Well, apparently me, that's what's going to hurt. So we've got to be really careful about this. Jonathan, there's a saying, it says, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So let's think of treasure in the same way. And we've got three suggested intertwined characteristics of anything that we would label as a treasure. So these are three sort of loose characteristics that we think would apply to anything that we would say, this is a treasure or that's a treasure. And the first characteristic is it's attractive. What what, what about that? Rick, this attractiveness can be uh, somehow uh, that's, let me start again. This attractiveness can be how something looks, how it stimulates our senses or what it does, like an example, uh, art or gardening or carving tools. You know, art, it's something that you look at that stimulates you from the standpoint of, of trying to absorb it. Gardening is you're putting your hands in the dirt and you are actually, there's, 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 this, there's, this, there's this interchange going on. Carving I was tools. trying to clean up the garden just earlier today, hoping for spring. <laughs> yeah, well, we're getting a snowstorm tomorrow. I don't know what I happened know. there. <laughs> but anyway, you know, and carving tools, I used to do a lot of fine furniture making, and carving tools are such a cool thing because that tool in your hand can take a square piece of wood and turn it to anything your mind's eye can see. And so, you know, those are the different kinds of things that we can have as treasures. Things that, that, so they're attractive. The second item is that it, they have some kind of personal value. What about that? Well, it means something special or is worth something of personal significance. It fills a void, creates a distraction, stimulates a thought, stirs a memory. So a treasure is something that you perceive has value to you. It's got value to me. Uh, this thing is important or this activity is important or this thought is important because there's value to me. And the third thing, so first, our treasures are attractive. Second, they have personal value. And the third thing is our treasures represent a measurement of wealth. Well, Rick, it commands time or attention or space or concern. All right. A measurement of wealth. It, it takes, and it doesn't just take. It, we use the word, it commands time or attention or space or concern. When something commands, when you say to, that, that you, you, know, you know somebody who commands respect, they don't say, I demand for you to respect me. That's demanding respect. Commanding respect is that person's mere presence leads you to want to respect them. Our treasures, mere presence lead us to give them our time or attention, our space or our concern. They're not demanding it. They're commanding it. Big, big difference. Really quickly, one of God's treasures we want to touch on here, and this is, this is a beautiful thought when you think about it. Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. Now, therefore, if you'll obey my voice indeed and keep my commandment, Okay, keep my, keep my covenant. That's the attractiveness. He's saying, if you keep my covenant, God, this is attractive to God. If you keep his covenant, what's next? Then you shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people. And see, that's personal value to God. God is saying to Israel, if you keep my covenant, you know, that's the attractiveness. You'll be a treasure to me. You will be valuable to me. And what else? For all the earth is mine. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests 
and a holy nation. And there's the wealth. To God, it's wealth to have a people that can be this kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And what's the, the last of the verse? These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. Okay, so a treasure of God is his chosen people because they're attractive, they have personal value to God, and they show God wealth. They are wealth to him. Jonathan, today we have uh, with us uh, Julie, our CQ Rewind extraordinaire, (laughs) CQ helper, CQ person, who does all kinds of things with us as a color commentator, which is kind of a different sort of thing. But uh, Julie, good to have you with us. Hi, Rick, and hi, Jonathan. I'm very excited to be on this particular program because I think there's all, I've got a lot of questions and I think it's, it's just a really good everyday type of program we need to hear. Okay. So first of all, Julie, a little bit about your background first, just who are you and all of that kind of thing. And then we've got it, we'll, we'll get right into it. You know, I've been a volunteer with Christian Questions since 2010 and I work on the CQ Rewind, which is the weekly written transcript. I help with social media, help with graphics. Um, anything really that you need done and that Jonathan needs done, we're, we're, we lead a pretty big team of volunteers here. Yeah, and, and Julie, you actually do lead the team of the volunteers, which is a really cool thing. So, you know, I wanted to bring you in on the conversation right here because I want us to take some time and talk about the Greek word for treasure being thesaurus. And you had emailed me, just, just reiterate a little bit about our, our email conversation about thesaurus and so forth. Well, you know, when I looked up treasure in the dictionary, I found that it originates from an old French word based on the Greek word, like you tried to pronounce there, thesaurus. And um, I thought there had to be lessons there because I love to search, examine, investigate, research, pursue. Oh, look, see, I like the thesauruses. See? <laughs> uh, new words. And I thought, well, there's got to be a lesson in here somewhere about our treasures. And, and in thinking about it and praying about it, I think I think there's some very interesting things about it. So you emailed that to me, and then I responded to you because you know words are actually one of my treasures, uh, and I I love words. I love the feel of words rolling off of my tongue. I love the sound of words. To me, words are just this amazing, amazing, amazing tool. And so when you said to me, because I hadn't even started looking into all of this yet, you said, "Hey, you know, it comes from the word thesaurus. What's up with that?" It's like. Oh, that makes perfect sense to me. That makes absolutely perfect sense. Because the idea of the word treasure coming from the word thesaurus, a thesaurus, think about it, is a massive storehouse of words that have great and specific value. That's what a thesaurus is. And when you think of it in terms of the Greek language, part of the Greek culture was the communication of ideas and science and thinking. And how do you do that? With words. So words were a huge tool in that Greek culture, and it makes perfect sense. So, so the, let, let's look at the three things, Jonathan, that we talked about earlier. First of all, within the thesaurus itself, it's, attra- it's attractive. How so? Well, its attractiveness lies in its power to expand both meaning and expression. And Julie, that's what you were saying. You know, the meaning and expression can just sort of jump out if you use a thesaurus. So... Um, yeah, that's correct. <laughs> okay, so you, you've got the attractiveness. Uh, what about its value, Jonathan? Well, Rick, its value is expressed in the broadening 
of an explanation or understanding of a thought, action, or thing. So the value is that it broadens the horizon of what you're trying to explain. And Julie, when you were talking in your introduction, uh, you know, you were kind of throwing out all of those extra words there. Yes, um, that's exactly that's exactly right. It helps you to see something more in a, in a little bit of a sh- different shade, right? A different shade to see something. And see, that's such an important thing in terms of the value, the treasure, if you will, of a thesaurus. And like you know, hey, what did they talk about? Oh, they said the thesaurus is a treasure. I mean, really? <laughs> yes. No, wait, just wait, just yeah, wait. Yeah. Yes, really. It's a place for us to start the thinking process. And finally, the, you know, the thesaurus has, it shows a measurement of wealth. How so? Well, its wealth is in the vastness of what it broadens, countless thought actions and things. Okay, so it, the wealth is what it brings you by using those words, the, the, the value of those words. Countless thought actions. You know, the thought actions. We, we think and then we act. That's the value of words. Words provoke thinking. Thinking provokes action. So, Jonathan, our treasure lesson for our first segment is pretty simple. Yes, Rick. Our personal treasures are definable and powerful. Okay. Definable and powerful. Now, that can be in all kinds of different ways. So we've got to start to examine this. So this is the big picture. What about now starting to get down to specifics? That's exactly what we're going to focus on. What do we do when we want something to be our treasure that seems to be out of our reach? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. Because our choice of what we treasure is not limited to rare paintings or collectibles, we do have to be on our guard when thinking about them. There's a very real danger of wanting to choose treasures that we feel entitled to, but may not be able to have. So what do we do then? Well, fortunately for us, Jesus provides us an answer. So here is where we begin to get into the issue of the kinds of treasures that we have and the effect they have on us. And so the first issue, the first thing we want to talk about for this segment is our thought treasures. So what about them, Jonathan? Well, Rick, our thought treasures can be those things which we think we should be given. Okay, now let's think about that. Those things, I said can be these things which we think we should, don't have to be, but they can be those things which we think we should be given. So We're going to go through several verses in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 through 34. It's going to take us several segments because we're going to break up this larger context into small pieces. But this is all about treasures. It's all about Jesus helping us understand what we think is important and what is really important and what the big differences are. So to begin with, let's start with Luke 13, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Okay, so you've got to, to something really simple here. 
there's a family spat about an inheritance. A little bit of commentary from uh, Adam Clark on this, Jonathan. Among the Jews, the children had the inheritance of their fathers divided among them. The eldest had a double portion, but all the rest had equal parts. It is likely the person complained of in the text was the elder brother, and he wished to keep the whole to himself a case which is far from being uncommon. So you've got the dispute over, you know, mom and dad die, and what do you do with the stuff? And it's this dispute, and this, this apparently, it's really hard to say, this brother says to Jesus, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Luke, to, well, go, go. well, Rick, these treasures were important to him. Well, they were, and here's the thing. How does so, if they're important to him, Jesus would know that, right? Oh, well, of course. So what does Jesus do to help this guy out? Luke 12, verse 14. But he said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And Rick, an arbitrator is one who apportions uh, or administ- an administrator. Okay, so Jesus doesn't try to help the guy. He says, wait, who made me arbitrator? Who made me administrator of this whole thing? What are you doing? Now, a little bit of adding there, of course, but, you know, what are you doing? Why are you getting me involved in your problem? Another, another commentary that from, from Kaufman, just a few lines to put this in order. Although no fault could be found with this man's request, Christ absolutely refuses to accede to it. Jesus did not approach the problems of social injustice by an assault upon established institutions, he did not take the man's part against those who had wronged him. So, you know, there's a little bit of an assumption that he was wrong. And we assume that there was some, some kind of, you know, fishy activity going on from probably from an older brother. We don't know for sure, but that's certainly what it sounds like. But the thing is, Jesus isn't getting involved in the middle. He's not taking what this guy says is important, like you said, what, what he treasures. And he's not saying, you're right. You have a right to that. Tell me where your brother is. Let me speak to him. He doesn't do that at all. And as a matter of fact, what does he say in the very next verse, Luke 12, 15? Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So instead of helping, he not only turns the guy down, but he says something that can be interpreted as being spoken to the guy who's complaining as well as about the guy he's complaining about. Both of them could be on, needed to be on their guard against every form of greed because he's saying that not even when you have a whole bunch is your life consisted in those things. You can't take it with you. Right, right. And, and you know what? But having it along the way is what we all really want. And we want to have more of it along the way and then some more of it along the way. So we're going to get down to a practical aspect. We're going to bring Julie back in, in a moment here to get down to the practical aspect of, okay, thought treasures. What about them? How can we better understand them? First, though, I'm going to go a sound, to a soundbite from Christian Jarrett. This is fascinating. Why we are so attached to our things. And as usual, Jonathan, there is some psychological things going on that we just generally don't understand. This is, this is pretty cool stuff. Listen to this. After witnessing the violent rage shown by babies whenever deprived of an item they considered their own, Jean Piaget, a founding father of child psychology, observed something profound about human nature. Our sense of ownership emerges incredibly early. Why are we so clingy? 
there's a well-established phenomenon in psychology known as the endowment effect, where we value items much more highly just as soon as we own them. You know, and, and he's talking about rage in babies. And you say, wait a minute, what? Mine, mine, mine. <laughs> well, but you know what? I mean, j- just to give you a quick example, um, I have two granddaughters that are both a little over two years old. And around Christmas time, the two of them were together. They don't, one lives in Virginia, the other lives in Connecticut, so they don't see each other a lot. But they're together, and it's just before Christmas, and we're doing the Christmas presents, and, you know, everybody's all happy. And one of the little girls had gotten some, some little uh, pots and pans or something for, for, for Christmas. And the other little g- girl went, and, and I'm not saying which is which, okay, <laughs> but went and picked it up, one of the little pans up that the, the first little, little granddaughter wasn't playing with. And she, the first granddaughter who, whose president was, she freaked out. Like, and it was like, mine! <laughs> and there was this massive, massive, massive meltdown. And you think, what happened? But see, there's, a, there's, there's, this, there's this psychological attachment to ownership at a very, very young age. And, you know, when I heard that soundbite, that's the first thing I thought of was that experience at Christmas time. And what this a is, riot. It is. It's amazing. So, so let's get down now uh, to the practicality of the matter, okay? Sometimes when we cannot or do not have a desired treasure, our obsessing over it becomes our treasure. So we want to focus on the thought treasures, for the rest of this segment, and the obsession that we can develop. And, and obsessions, Jonathan, can have those three characteristics. Let's go through those. Obsession is attractive. It paints a big what-if picture. Okay. Obsession can be, it can be like magnetic because there's a big what-if. If I only had this, if, I, if things could be different, then I could do it this way, and I would be awful happy. If, and if I can't, I just got to have it. I just, you know, it's that obsession. that It's attractive. What else? It has personal value. It's about what I des- desire personally. Okay, so it's what you desire. It's what you deserve. It's I deserve it, and we can't get the thought out of, out of our head. And then finally, what else? It represents wealth. My life would be richer if I get what I obsess over. And folks, isn't that how we look at our obsessions? They how they are justified. Because I should have those things I obsess about. All right, so Julie, let's get you here. You know, you're going to give us a sense of, no pressure now, sister, a little sense of practicality in dealing with thought treasures and obsessiveness and all of that. Well, I, I actually have a really important question for you. So you've said obsession, but what's the difference between obsessing over what you can't have versus putting the time in so that you can have it? So here's our thesaurus. You say obsession. I'm going to say focus, dedication, determination, commitment, passion. Because if you want something, you've got to put the time in. So let's say I want to play professional sports or I want to learn to play a musical instrument or I'm just going to go to college. It's going to take all my time, my money, my energy, my focus, but it's for a better career. So tell me what's good and what's bad. What if I spend 90 hours at work at the expense of my family, but I feel good and I'm getting a promotion and I feel good about that. What if I spend that same 90 hours helping uh, with three different jobs because I've got four kids at home and I'm caring for my elderly parents? Is one good? Is one bad? What's what's right? <laughs> it certainly can be. You know, and, and, and that's a really good question because we're talking about thought treasures. 
obsession can become a treasure because we value it because it, it shows us wealth. There's a difference though between obsession and passion. Passion, I think, is focus in a healthy way versus obsession is focus that is out of control. And to me, that's the difference. If I'm doing it because I just want to be the best and I don't care about anybody or anything else, there's too much left too much left in your wake that's damaged as a result of that obsession versus a striving for excellence. You follow the difference? Maybe. Yeah, but I, I still think that people can be can become overly obsessed about their goals. Oh, and you're right. And, and, I, and I think that when passion turns into obsession, we've got a treasure that's not good. See, I would submit to you that the passion to graduate college, to go through those things, to tr- if you are talented and you, you want to play professional sports, that can be a great passion. But when it becomes, when it starts taking away more from your life than it brings your life, that's mm-hmm. the difference between being obsessive and the treasure being something that hurts you versus passion and the treasure that being something can actually help you. And I think maybe, maybe as you're speaking, it's your, what's your overriding goal? Right. Is your overriding goal to be the best in your field and work those 90 hours and do this? Or is your goal to be pleasing to God and, you know, make a consecration to him and help those around you? So I think maybe you can have littler goals, but I think maybe you've got to keep that, that, that big one in front and center all the time. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That's the theme right, scripture right. for today. Uh, and, and Jonathan, we started down the road of Luke 12, uh, and Jesus is going to bring us down that road. So you're right. Our goals and our passions in life need to fit into the largest picture of our life. And if you're a Christian, the big picture is not what do I accomplish, what do I get, what do I do, what do I focus on. It is how do I please God? How do I follow in Jesus' footsteps? That's the practical part. And that's why obsession is dangerous. Passion is good, but it can easily turn to obsession, which is dangerous. So, you know, to me, Julie, it it is a very fine line between those two things. Um, So, Jonathan, let's continue a little bit here with a little bit more scriptural basis and background here. So, you know, the issue is our thought treasures. They can go down the road of obsession. The answer for our thought treasures is what? Well, Rick, our thought treasures need to be recalibrated. Now, what do you mean by recalibrated? You know, with machinery that that produces something, that that makes, uh, uh, makes widgets, that machinery has all kinds of adjustments on it. And if those adjustments come out of whack, then the widgets come out wadgets instead of widgets, you know? <laughs> okay. And, and so it, they don't work. The widget doesn't do its widgeting. It starts to wadget instead of widget and, and, and everything is off. So when you recalibrate the machine, you reset it to where it will do what it's supposed to do. And that's what we need to do with our treasures. Our thought treasures need to be recalibrated, reset so they are functioning to do what they're supposed to, not to be obsessive, but to be passionate in the context of other things. So go ahead. Let us look away from ourselves and think on those things that are simply expressions of God's genius. Okay, so we wanna, how do you do that? How do you recalibrate your thought uh, uh, your, your, your thought treasures and sometimes your obsessions, stop. Stop, look, and listen. 
Let's go back to Luke 12, and this is what Jesus tells us. Verses uh, 27 and 28. So we're, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit to get an answer for this part of the, of the uh, conversation. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? So there's this real sense of something big in something small, something big in the lilies of the field, in the beauty, the stark, magnificent, genius beauty and function of those little flowers to say, what am I getting so obsessive about? Look at how God has put that there. He can certainly take care of me. So Jesus ties this breathtaking beauty and treasure of nature to our own spiritual lives, and he's telling us to think deeply. So let's go through, and I want to try to get through this scripture relatively quickly. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, and again, we're going to see all three of those pieces of what a treasure is made of, and this is now focusing on spiritual treasure. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. See, this is a magnificent treasure that was just described. It is attractive. You look at it and say, wow, that's available? Really? Continue. In this, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you will be distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So what he's saying here is such a treasure is worth its price. See, it's got personal value. Even though you're being distressed, it's valuable enough to keep pursuing. And then verses 8 and 9. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible and full of glory, obtaining as the outcome of your faith and salvation of your souls. So this treasure brings eternal joy. It represents great wealth. Every single thing we look at as a treasure can fill, fill these three qualifications. It's attractive, it has personal value, and great wealth. And, and Julie, what we were talking about is our obsessions in life and our, our physical world and our physical treasures versus a spiritual uh, expression at this point. Yeah, and you know what struck me when, you, when, when Jonathan was reading about the lilies of the field? Do you know what else the lilies of the field are? They're free. <laughs> you don't need buckets of money in order to see beauty and to have happiness because I think we're wired to have happiness. We're wired to uh, respond to nature and to respond to these, these, these good baser things. So that gives you a sense of incredible value, incredible beauty, incredible value, and then incredible wealth. Go ahead, Jonathan. How there, we have several new beginnings in our lives. The new year, uh, the time, the memorial of our, our Lord's death, or how about um, September when school starts? All these new beginnings, we need to reevaluate our lives and look 
at these things. We need to have times where we say we need to recalibrate. Right, right. Make sure we're focused properly or not. And so these new beginnings are, I think, good stages to do that. In. And you're right. So the, the, the thought treasures need excuses to stop and let the maintenance guy do his adjusting so our widgets our widget machine produces widgets, not wadgets. And so, you know, the beginning of school or the new year or the Lord's memorial, whatever it is, helps you recalibrate and rethink. So what's our treasure lesson from this segment regarding our personal thoughts? Our personal thought treasures require serious attention to see where their attention is focused. Okay. They require serious attention to see where their attention is focused. You've got to pay attention to what you pay attention to. Because if you don't, you're going to lose your focus. So the whole idea of treasures includes much more than I ever thought. It really does. What about the fact that many of our treasures are as a result of our focus and hard work? Aren't good treasures? If you disagree with some of Rick and Jonathan's viewpoints, no matter your beliefs, we want to hear from you. Reach out to us at ChristianQuestions.com or through our app by searching for Christian Questions in your app store. Our producers are feeding us your awesome comments and questions every week, so keep them coming. In this next CQ chapter, we're going 3D. Three viewpoints. Christian, secular, and neutral. There certainly is an appropriate to treasuring something that has that has someone that someone has planned and labored for. As a matter of fact, we should encourage such treasuring, especially amongst our kids, as a lesson in effort and accomplishment. However, like anything else in this world, even good things to treasure can end up in a bad way. And you know, and I keep saying that, it's like, ah, oh, Rick, you're going to turn everything sour? No, but most everything has the ability to go sour, whether we want it to or not. And the problem is, if we treasure it while it's good, and hold on to it when it turns sour, we're now treasuring the wrong kinds of things. So to get into the next section, the last segment was about our thinking, about our thoughts. This is about our accomplishments. And certainly accomplishment is something to be looked up to and, and, and sought after and so forth. And we don't want to downplay that. Let's go back to Christian Jarrett with why are we so attached to our things uh, and, and just get a little bit further into his discussion on the psychological effects of ownership. Whoops, wait a minute, right here. In one famous demonstration, students were given a choice between a coffee mug or a Swiss chocolate bar as a reward for helping out with research. Half chose the mug and half chose the chocolate. That is, they seemed to value the two rewards similarly. Other students were given a mug first and then a surprise chance to swap it for a chocolate bar, but only 11% wanted to. Yet another group started out with chocolate and most preferred to keep it rather than swap. In other words, the students nearly always put greater value on whichever reward they started out with. Part of this has to do with how quickly we form connections between our sense of self and the things we consider ours. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I just take the chocolate and be done. <laughs> I'm in on that one, Rick. <laughs> so, all right. So the idea, though, is ownership. If we own it, we tend to value it more. And that's something really important because accomplishment, by definition, 
is about something that and something that you have done and therefore you own that accomplishment. So the issue that we want to talk about is our accomplishment treasure. What about it, Jonathan? Well, our accomplishment treasures can be those things which we've worked hard for, including status, wealth, and fame, all of which can be deserved, appropriate, and Rick, destructive. Yes, sour. Yeah, so it can be really, really good, and you don't want to downplay the goodness of accomplishment, but it can turn sour. Let's go back to Luke 12. Uh, the, the larger context is 13 through 34. We're going to actually go through verses 16 through 20 in this little section here. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? Now, hang on. Really? He had no place to store his crops in the story. He's got barns. So don't tell me he's got no place, but that's the way he's thinking. So this attitude leans toward the arrogance of, look, what exists now is not worthy of my goods and my harvest because it's so much better than other times. You know, so you get this sense of just this, this, this puffed up attitude. Continue. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Now, Jonathan, you just read one verse there, right? Mm-hmm. How many times in that one verse did he say I and my? <laughs> I think six times. Six times <laughs> in one verse. Wow. That should tell us something important. And he continues in this story that Jesus is telling, verses 19 through 21. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So, so the rich man in this parable is without humility and without compassion for those who don't have. He is so focused on the look and the feel of what he has accomplished, he has forgotten to appreciate the accomplishment for the value that it actually has to not only perhaps feed himself, but maybe help a few other people along the way. You know, his accomplishment treasure overwhelmed his own humanity and his own humility, and, you know, it it did not end well for him. So let's get practical. Let's get down to it. Let's take a look at our accomplishment treasures uh, in, in a practical sense. So, Julie, we're going to you know, bring you in for the practical application here. Sometimes when we meet with a personal accomplishment, we also meet face-to-face with arrogance. So, Jonathan, what about those three aspects of any treasure applied to accomplishment? Well, Rick, accomplishment is attractive. Who doesn't want to succeed? Go ahead. Accomplishment has personal value. It gives opportunities and influence. And accomplishments represents wealth. It brings confidence and security. This can all be good until it's not. Now, it doesn't necessarily have to go bad. But, Julie, what about the treasure of accomplishment? Well, you know, this arrogance, there's so many scriptures that warn us to stay humble when we have a lot But I was thinking, again, what about thesaurus? What about reverse arrogance from the standpoint of the one who doesn't have the accomplishment? So the thesaurus word for reverse arrogance to me would be jealousy. 
And I, I can look at someone and deem them, well, they're materialistic because they've got the cool stuff that I don't and what I really want. And you can be proud of your lifestyle. You can say, well, I live simply and, and I'm not caught up in worldly things like television or vacations or whatever. And I never take up my time watching sports, which I can say I, I probably don't. Um, you don't know you what you're missing. <laughs> you can judge someone who's living with different means than you. So I think arrogance works on both sides. Julie, uh, you can take great personal pride in your own humility. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that's exactly right. Yeah. So, it, so is your humility your treasure or is it God's grace to supply your needs your treasure? So your humility can become your accomplishment, which turned into arrogance, which mm-hmm. goes sour. Versus just simply being humility and allowing it to work a good work in you. You know, so you're right. So from the standpoint of accomplishment, but let's talk about those who do accomplish things. And the, the, the sense of, of, you know, having done something that is unusual or different or really, really difficult. Uh, you know, what, what, about, what about folks like that, Julie? When you look at them, I mean, don't they have a, 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 a right to look at that and say, wow, I accomplished this. I did this thing. You know, I think I think pride in a job well done is is not a bad thing. You know, I think that the Lord really wants us to um, have have self-confidence. You know, he, he doesn't want us to walk around like doormats and always hanging our heads saying, woe is me. I'm no good. I am nothing. I am nothing. That's not it. I think that, again, I, I, it goes back to that overall goal. If your overall goal is I'm here to please God and I'm here to be kind to others and I'm here to work on my own character, then everything else should fall into place. That means we're going to have to recalibrate probably every day. I mean, I love what Jonathan said about, you know, with these milestones in our life, but I think even to a greater degree, every day we have to just make sure that we're moving in the right direction because I think sin is going to automatically take us in one direction, like, like, like ocean waves. You know, you're in the the ocean and before you know it, that current has taken you way far. You're always, we're always swimming against that current. So with, with, with great accomplishment comes great responsibility. Right. Uh, You know, and and you're right. It's so important to be, to be aware, to be clear on the value of the accomplishment, but also the danger of that accomplishment and not to say you don't accomplish it to avoid you accomplish something to avoid the danger no 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 you just keep your mind set straight jonathan go ahead well say the woodworking experience you you used to be a woodworker yes you created beautiful furniture well in the olden days the woodworker when he was done would fold his handkerchief that he used to dry himself off put it on top of the woodwork to say it is finished and he could look at that and say it's beautiful. I worked hard and I accomplished my goal. Just like Jesus in the tomb when his, his, um, clo- uh, his, uh, his uh, clothes Rabbings. were on the ground, but the towel was folded and laid next to the head of the tomb. It is finished. He did the job his father sent him to do, and he could look at that as an accomplishment. Yeah, so to... To look at an accomplishment for what it truly is, is a beautiful thing to do, and it's an encouraging thing to do, and it's an encouraged thing to do. We just want to be careful of the arrogance. So, so we're going to go now to an example of accomplishment that 
can go bad, again, treasure that can go bad without the arrogance, because I think it's important to, to separate the two. So that'll be our next uh, uh, look, is accomplishment, uh, even without arrogance, accomplishment can be a, a treacherous road. But I want to go back to Christian Jarrett and why we are so attached to our things. And remember, he was talking about coffee mugs and chocolate bars and, and, and all of these things, but he's talking about the, 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 that internal uh, natural sense of ownership. Let's listen. Another reason we're so fond of our possessions is that from a young age, we believe they have a unique essence. Psychologists showed us this by using an illusion to convince three to six-year-olds they built a copying machine, a device that could create perfect replicas of any item. When offered a choice between their favorite toy or an apparently exact copy, the majority of the children favored the original. In fact, they were often horrified at the prospect of taking home a copy. This magical thinking about objects isn't something we grow out of. Rather, it persists into adulthood while becoming ever more elaborate. For example, consider the huge value placed on items that have been owned by celebrities. It's as if the buyers believed the objects they'd purchased were somehow imbued with the essence of their former celebrity owners. For similar reasons, many of us are reluctant to part with family heirlooms, which help us feel connected to lost loved ones. So, you know, there, there's some, some good things in, in that, in that soundbite because it helps us to see that we can get attached so easily. And then there's that, that magical feeling attached to the things that I'm attached to and the ones that I own. And no, you can't. It's mine. And so... There, there, it's kind of an instinct, but we have to be careful that that instinct doesn't get out of control. Go ahead, Jonathan. Oh, Julie, go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, back to uh, back to the accomplishment is attractive. It doesn't that make you think of that story? Remember when the Pharisee and the and the publican yeah. and the publican's praying to God that, and he's so humble in his prayer, and the, and the and the Pharisee prays, and he says, "Thank you, God, that I'm not that publican." Yeah, <laughs> you know that's what that reminds me of because he was so mighty, and yet he had the arrogance to it. Right, and and Jesus' response to that story is, "Who went home that day?" made right before God, not the Pharisee, but the man who was humble. So, so, so let's go now to another story of a great accomplishment that doesn't have arrogance. Mark 10, 17 to 22. This is not a parable. This is an actual event in Jesus' life. And there came one running and kneeled to him and asked him, good master, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? And Jesus said unto him, thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud none, honor thy father and mother. So the man comes and he's sincere and he and Jesus, he says, what do I do to inherit eternal life? I know there's more. And Jesus recites to him the law because he's Jewish. What happens? And he answered and said unto the master, all these things I observe from my youth. Okay, and, 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 and just continue a little bit further. Then Jesus beheld him and loved him and said unto him. Okay. He says, I've been keeping the law. I've been working at it. And Jesus appreciated this man because he was humble and he knew that he was sincere. So now what does Jesus say? One thing thou lackest, go thy way. Sell whatever thou hast and give to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. So Jesus lays it out. If you really want eternal life, you want to follow me, and here's what it's going to cost you. What does the man say or do? 
And he was sad at that saying and went away grieved, for he had great possessions. It was too much for him to be willing to give up all of his possessions. He was not arrogant. He was a good man. He was a humble man. He was a, he was a forthright individual. This parable shows us the earthly treasure of accomplishment. Well, the first, the first, the parable with the guy with the barns showed us the the par, the the earthly treasure of accomplishment that was seasoned with arrogance in that first parable. Now, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that because I'm so great. This last event of this rich young ruler shows us the earthly treasure of accomplishment seasoned with attachment. Arrogance can really bring us down a bad road, but attachment, if it's too deep in relation to things that are bigger, can be hurtful as well. So we've got arrogance and we've got attachment. Too much attachment, and, and Julie, we were talking about this before, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of accomplishment, being attractive, I've accomplished this. Just, we don't have a ton of time here, but just a brief comment on the idea of being attached to what you've accomplished. Well, you know, it's interesting because if you're attached to something, if something happens that unattaches you, you're really thrown for a loop yeah. and, and things are, you're not going to walk in a, in a straight line anymore. So, uh, you know, you think about these people that where tornadoes have taken their house away and they're interviewing on the news and they say, I, I've lost everything, but at least I am alive. My son and daughter are alive. My dog is alive, you know, and it, it twists everything. Yeah. You know, what happens if all those attachments are taken away? What's going to be your attitude towards God? So that's with our accomplishments. We have to be careful of both arrogance and attachment. Luke, uh, or I'm sorry, the answer to this, the issue of our accomplishment treasures is what? Well, Rick, our accomplishment treasures need to be recalibrated. Let us simply and sincerely work towards the accomplishment of our faith. So every accomplishment in life needs to be put in the context of the accomplishment of our faith. We go back to Luke 12 uh, verses now. We're going to jump ahead again to verses 29 to 31. And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. So Jesus is telling us to not worry, seek God's kingdom first and foremost, above all, beyond all. So what's the treasure lesson here, Jonathan? Our personal accomplishments must be seasoned with acceptance of God's blessing. Okay, so we had accomplishment seasoned first with arrogance, then we had accomplishment seasoned with attachment, and now we want to have our accomplishments seasoned with acceptance in the context of God's blessing. So it seems like everywhere we turn, we have had to be on our guard. Absolutely. Treasuring accomplishments can be dicey. What about treasuring those things that we simply need? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. Finding our treasure in the needs of our daily life 
sounds like a simple and easy task. It does not appear to have the challenges of obsession or the pitfalls that may follow accomplishment. It does, however, have its own set of detours, some of which can be subtle, but just as dangerous. And again, it's like every place we turn, we're saying, oh, but you got to watch out for that. Oh, but you got to watch out for that. I mean, it's like we're ruining the whole idea of treasures. And <laughs> that's not the intention. The intention is to magnify the idea of the right kinds of treasures sought in the right kinds of way that actually contribute to our lives and the lives around us rather than take away and even destroy our own lives and the lives around us. Our treasures can do both of those things. They can add and they can dearly subtract. And we're going to see a lot of that in this next uh, treasure hunt, if you will, is the issue of our personal daily life treasure. And then, you know, I sound like, well, what kind of, what, what do you get out of personal daily life for treasure? So Jonathan, what's the issue there? Well, our personal daily life treasure can be those things which we feel like we need. These include things that are necessary and things perceived as necessary, like wants, jealousies, habits. How about addictions? They're all included here. So in our personal daily life, it may not be about the big things that we accomplish. You know, it may not be about the things that we just think about. But it may be about the things that we think we, that we need and that we perceive that we need. And that perception can put us way, 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 way off. And again, we're going to go back to Christian Jarrett for another soundbite for why we are so attached to our things. And he's going to mention something in this soundbite that sort of exemplifies the sense of the feeling of needing, but end, it ended, ending up being not such a very good thing at all. Sometimes our attachment to our things can go too far. Part of the cause of hoarding disorder is an exaggerated sense of responsibility and protectiveness toward one's belongings. That's why people with this condition find it so difficult to throw anything away. What remains to be seen today is how the nature of our relationship with our possessions will change with the rise of digital technologies. Many have forecast the demise of physical books and music, but for now at least, this seems premature. Perhaps there will always be something uniquely satisfying about holding an object in our hands and calling it our own. You know, I think that two things. That last statement, I think there is something uniquely satisfying about holding something that you think is really, really valuable. I, I, I just, I believe in that. But, you know, the other side of that is this hoarding disorder. And I don't know if you've ever seen or known of anybody to be a hoarder, but it's, it's, it's actually, it's horrifying because, you know, things get saved that have, you look at it and you say, what the heck? And when you ask a question about any one of those little things, there's an answer. You know, the used tea bag that sat on the shelf for two years still might have some tea in it. And it's important that I, that I keep that, you know, and you think what happened? And, and that's kind of our, our, our personal daily life getting out of hand in a very, very sad, sad way. Got to be careful. So that, that means they're assigning the wrong value of wealth right. to that little thing. Right. So that's what we need to do is properly assign right. our possessions to have wealth. Like what's a, what's a personal daily life treasure that's okay to have? What's the positive of that? Well, you know, look, there, there's a lot of personal... Let me give you an example. Uh, folks, you're how, about, how about the Bible? Let's just throw that one out real quick. Okay. Uh, you know, and, and the Bible is an obvious 
should be well let me let me back up because it's not obvious it should be an obvious treasure for us because it's the word of god it's god's thesaurus okay if you want to find the words that expand life look in that book let me clue you okay but you know let me let me go to a, a, a different direction i've got this little pen that I really kind of treasure, okay? It's a little pen, Julie, actually, that, that you gave to me. It's a Christian questions pen. It's got Christian questions on it. It's got the logo. You know, think about the Bible like you never have before. And I keep this at my podcasting desk all the time. And I love to hold it and use it because it reminds me of the value of the work that we're trying to do and the value of putting the effort in even when you don't feel like it. And when I look at this pen, it, it kind of lights me up inside. So, see, to me, that is a motivational factor to help me give rather than just to help me take it. You know, it's not like Gollum in the ring in the Lord of the Rings. Ah, my precious. It's not like that at all. <laughs> but it's something that is, in, in a way, very, very precious because it moves me forward. So there, there's a, an example for, you know, just a little tiny thing in life that to me is, is, is I treasure as a driving force, just a little tiny thing. But let's get back. We got to get to back to Luke 12. Uh, again, verses 13 to 34 is the larger context. We're now in verses uh, 22 through 26. So and Jonathan, he said to his disciples, for this reason, I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them how much more valuable you are than the birds. See, daily life does not need us to obsess over essentials. What Jesus is saying is here is, have faith. If you're following me, God will provide ways for you. doesn't mean that he's just going to give you things for free, but it, it means that you don't need to obsess over those daily experiences. Continue. And which of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a little thing, why do you worry about other matters? See, we cannot even accomplish truly shaping our own destiny. So let's uh, simply live in responsibility and live in faith. That's the message of those verses in dealing with the issue of our personal daily life treasures. Uh, you know, materialism. Uh, when, when, and, well, actually, Julie, you're going to get into that, I think, next, a little bit on materialism. So let, let's, get to the, let's get to the practical application. Accepting and cherishing the simple things of life is a wonderful way for anyone to find treasure in the simple things of life. The problem arises when we accept and cherish bad habits, dark emotions, even addictions as treasures. So, Jonathan, how does all this work? And then, Julie, what's the practical part of it? Well, Rick, the sin in our personal daily life is attractive. It feels comfortable and natural in its destructiveness. It has a personal value and a comfort. It pro projects to cover its devastation. It represents a wealth of accessibility as its most powerful deception. So sin in our personal daily life can be attractive, it can have value, and it can represent wealth. It's a false picture but it can represent something that, that we strive towards. So, Julie, what about the practical applications of this? Well, you know, the problem is we're all damaged by sin. So we can very easily get stuck and put time into what we really like or what we're addicted to. And it goes beyond the obvious ones like smoking or drugs or alcohol. We can be addicted to social media. We could be addicted to food. <clears throat> we could be addicted to shopping. 
or even the satisfaction we get from work. So with this thesaurus idea, we might be changing the words in our head a little bit and we might call our bad habits things like this. <clears throat> That's the way I was raised. Hmm. Well, it's the only way I know. Hmm. Well, it's the culture. This makes me happy and I deserve it. Or, well, I'm a victim. Or I'm just not strong enough to fight it. So you can spin it using these different words and make it look, well, not so bad. And I think it comes down to self-control and your proper goals and recalibration. So, but I wanted to just take a minute. What is being materialistic? Like I, I have got, I've got an example. So like most every woman in America, you, you may not know this, but I've got a wardrobe with three complete different sizes. I have skinny, I have normal, and I have heavy. And I have no idea which one I'm going to fit into that day. And if I'm being really honest, I also have a fourth size that I call, are you kidding me? <laughs> 20 or 30 years ago that we all know I'm never going to get back into, but it's nice to have. And I know I know Jonathan experiences this with his wife, Jewel, because I'm, I'm sure she's got a few different sizes in her closet. Now, does that make me materialistic or realistic? What about things like that in my life? Yeah, and you're expecting me to answer a question like that about women's wardrobes? Come Good on, luck, sister. Good <laughs> How many pairs of shoes do you own, Rick? <laughs> How many? Oh, well, okay, let's start there. I own one pair of shoes. That's no, a pair of dress right. shoes. They're black. I don't know. It's practical to me. <laughs> See, I don't I don't get it. But but here but but here here's here's to me how to draw the lines on materialism because you know in in the advertising that we see and in all of the media and what you were describing julie you know the the the, the phrase that comes to my mind all the time is gotta have it gotta have it just just gotta have it and and mm -hmm. how often do we um do we justify what we've done by saying just i just had to have it and that is a lie now that's strong language but that's true. It's a lie. You didn't have to have it. You wanted to have it. Okay. That's where materialism, I think, can begin to be drawn in terms of lines. Taking the gotta have it and saying, I want it. Instead of gotta have it, oh, no, 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 actually, I want it. So you're being honest with yourself right. and the words that you're telling yourself. You're it, acknowledging that you have this issue. And the people <laughs> around you that you may be talking to because when you say, oh, I gotta have it, they're going to say, yeah, go for it versus but, go ahead but what if there's something that i okay so i i want it and i can afford it is it is it wrong is it okay to buy um a, a sweater if i have 20 of them in my closet but that's the one that i want and well, is it, what if it what if it's cheap what if it's what if it's not expensive well can i, I buy it well see I, i'm not going to tell you whether you can or not but <laughs> what i will tell you is does that make me materialistic if we are materialistic the result of that is clutter in our life. Not necessarily just in our closet, but in our life. Materialism brings clutter. Clutter brings a false sense of stuff. A false sense of stuff brings us away from our big goal, which is serving God through following the footsteps of Jesus. That's, I think, how we have to, to, to sort of pare this down and be focused on how this is all going to work together so we can get someplace. So it's really hard to label materialism because, again, if somebody can't afford something, what's wrong with it? And, and, and I'm not going to tell you something's wrong with it necessarily unless, Jonathan, unless you have a, like, a, a, like, the, like the answer. 
Well, I have an answer. Okay, well, this is great. great. Quote by Joseph Campbell, and it's a recalibration answer, Rick. Okay. It is by going down into the abyss that we recover the treasures of life. Where you stumble, there lies your treasure. So that is a counter-materialistic approach by saying, in life, when we fall into trial, when we fall into difficulty, when we fall into depression, that's the place you can learn the deepest values of life, and that can overcome all of that materialistic thought that uh, that you were talking about, Julie. So no, you know, we can't say that buying something is necessarily wrong. I can't judge for somebody else, but I can certainly say if somebody's going to ask me my opinion, I'm going to ask you, how, how cluttered are you with the things that you buy because you can afford? Mm-hmm. And, and you okay. know, when I say you, I mean you, everybody, not just, just you. But, right. you know, and, and okay, so you need another closet for those sweaters? Oh, and, a bigger and, barn. And, right. Do I need a bigger barn? Right. Oh, no, I don't want that bigger barn because I know what happens. <laughs> it's clutter. That's what we have to watch out for. That's what we have to focus on. So the answer here to what you know, to dealing with the issue of our personal daily life treasures, you know, uh, uh, something as simple as materialism and something as deep and, and harsh as addiction has to be put in perspective. So Jonathan, what's the answer here? Well, Rick, our personal daily life treasures need to be recalibrated. Let us intentionally abandon our old worn out sinful treasures in exchange for embracing the daily life treasures of the kingdom. Okay. Exchange, intentionally abandon the old, worn out, cluttering, materialistic life treasures in exchange for embracing so much bigger treasure. And Jonathan, that quote really helps to focus us on this. The the daily life treasure of the kingdom. Let's go back to Luke chapter 12 and Jesus' words. Luke 12, verses 32 and 33 and 34. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourself money belts, which do not wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And that is the key. Where your treasure is, where your treasures are, there will your heart be also. That's the key. That's the focus. That's the important thing. This is what Jesus is saying is, look, your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. So the next question is, are you living in a way that shows that you treasure that gift? Do you treasure that gift and hold it in your hands and say, this is the most valuable part of my entire life sweaters shoes sports teams doesn't accomplishments doesn't matter this is what i live for that's how to find your truest treasure so jonathan let's go down to our treasure lesson for this segment our personal daily life treasure can be simplest most powerful treasure of all so in the personal daily life. And that's the brilliance of the teaching of Jesus. What he's telling us in this whole thing is that you can have all of these things, and yet we had the story of the man, you know, building the barns, and we had the rich young ruler, which was a different event, but it comes into play. Jesus is saying that God has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Your possessions don't matter. The money belt that you want to have 
Get a money belt that's never gonna, never going to, to, to uh, waste away, and that's spiritual currency. And we're not talking dollars and cents. We're talking about blessings of God. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. That's what personal treasures are really all about. That's how we get ourselves focused on this is what I want to hold really close and really precious and make it really work for me. So, um, uh, what, I mean, look, there is just so much to learn about treasures. There is. And the best part is that we have choices. Obsessive accomplishment and daily life treasures can all be refocused. How do we do that? If we asked Rick, Jonathan, and the CQ Contribution team to answer our topical questions in five minutes or less, rather than in several chapters over 90 minutes, they'd probably get a little stressed out. Plus, they love painting that bigger picture by looking at several real-world media perspectives, historical facts, and scripture. That's why some answers may come quickly, but we love taking a look at the bigger questions that aren't so easy. Whenever we try and pinpoint how to accomplish something that's really difficult, it's always helpful to have an example to examine. So fortunately, the Bible gives us many such examples, one of which we will look at closely right now. And that is the transformational example of the Apostle Paul. So here, we're going to take a look at the Apostle Paul. We're going to take a look at his before and after picture because he's going to show us earthly treasure versus heavenly treasure in his daily life. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3, verses 3 to 11. Again, we're going to take it in pieces. Um, and let, So verse 3 is kind of the, 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 the general description of where we're going here. For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. So he's declaring what it looks like to be spiritually minded in that verse. He's saying, look, we are to be worshiping God, worshiping in the Spirit of God and in the glory of Jesus, not having confidence in me and myself, but in confidence in, in Christ in me, the hope of glory. So now he's going to talk about his before story, verses 4 through 6 of Philippians chapter 3. Although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless. So Paul is telling you in these verses that he treasured his former life as Saul of Tarsus. See, it was attractive to him. He was a favored one of God, born, circumcised, and raised a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin. He had the pedigree behind him, and that was an attractive thing for him. Now, his former life also, he, uh, his former treasured life also had a personal value. Why, Jonathan? What was it in his former life? Well, Rick, he was a Hebrew of Hebrews and a Pharisee. So he was at the top of the heap when you looked at the social structure. He was a Pharisee, he was educated, and that had great value to him. His former treasured life also represented wealth. How so? Well, he was lauded as blameless under the law and a leader in the persecution of Christianity. Yeah, and when you think about that, Paul actually treasured at some point in his life the persecution of Christianity. He truly did. 
And there's a great lesson about the power of regret turned positive by looking at how the Apostle Paul took the regret of what he had done and, and made it a catapult to drive him forward. But see, here's the thing, Jonathan. His former life, he loved it. He had all of the things that he thought he could ever want or have, and he was very contented in that former life. So what happens to it? We're going to get to that in a minute. We're going we're gonna to inject another story, and then as we go through this story and the after picture, Julie, wanna, we want to see if we can pull together the pieces of what to treasure, what not to treasure, and how to do it. So we've got a lot, of, lot to try to accomplish in the next uh, 15 minutes, but I think we can. We're going to go to a story. This is a fascinating story. It's from 365 Materialism uh, Christian Youth Channel, and it's a story. It's just a simple story. We're going to do it in two pieces. It's about two minutes long, so each piece is about a minute long. It's a story about a man who had a son. The upstate New York man was rich in almost every way. His estate was worth millions. He owned houses, land, antiquities, and cattle. But though on the outside he had it all, he was very unhappy on the inside. His wife was growing old and the couple was childless. He had always wanted the little boy to carry on the family legacy. Miraculously, his wife became pregnant in her later years and she gave birth to a little boy. The boy was severely handicapped, but the man loved him with his whole heart. When the boy was five, his mum died. The dad drew closer to his special son. At the age of 13, the boy's birth defects cost him his life, and the father died soon after from a broken heart. Great. What a great story, right? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Everybody lives and everybody dies. Yeah, I know. It's a, but see, there, there's a tremendous, tremendous lesson about perspective here, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes, okay? Uh, <clears throat> first, let's go back to the story of the Apostle Paul. His previous life, he treasured it because he, he had great standing, he had great knowledge, <coughs> and he had great uh, accomplishment. But here's the pivot point, the transformation that began in his heart and his mind and then spread to his actions. And again, going back to ver Philippians chapter 3, we had read verses 3 through 6. Now verses 7 and 8 are going to help us to see what changed in the apostle to change what he treasured. But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Okay, what was gain that I counted as loss? Let's go to verse 8, and then Julie, let's start to try to get the practicality of the, the change that's happening in his mind. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, from whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. So, so, so Julie, when you think about that and the Apostle Paul's looking back on his life, what's he seeing, how's he assessing it, and where's he going with it? Well, it sounds like he's putting it into perspective. He is now calling it what it is. You know, before he was calling it, I'm special, I am learned, I am amazing, look where I am. And now he's looking back at that and saying, I persecuted the Christians? 
I was the one that held the clothes when they were stoning Stephen? I mean, can you just imagine what that made him feel like? And in fact, with a lesser man, I don't know how you'd put your foot in front of the next foot, right. you know, but because of that, he was, he was almost inoculated against pride in his position as an apostle and probably one of the greatest apostles, Right. You know? right. but he, he knew what that was like, but it's interesting because God was able to take his personality and his drive and his passion and he just recalibrated him right. and pushed him off in the right direction and what a change. And so you can see how people will be able to change in the kingdom. You know, they just need the direction. So, And, and the key phrase, I think it, it, it says, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss. He made the conscious decision to say, yeah, I used to think this, but now I don't. I'm and walking he, away. Right. He made the choice. He closed the door and he walked away. His new opportunity was so powerful that any previous treasure was now fit for the trash heap. That's what an amazing change he made to find spirituality in his life. Now, let's go back to the second part of the story about this boy and the, the father and the mom who all died. It's like, oh man, what, what, what good and value is that? And then we'll get the lesson from that. And then Jonathan, you had some comments that you'd mentioned before the, the podcast about what Paul did take from his past. And so that, that's going to all tie in really well. But let's finish the story of the boy here, uh, part, this, so this, part two. The estate was auctioned before hundreds of bidders. The first item offered was a painting of the boy. No one bid. They waited like vultures for the riches. Finally, the poor housemaid who helped raise the boy offered $5 for the picture and easily took the bid. To everyone's shock, the auctioneer ripped a handwritten will from the back of the picture. This is what it said. To the person who thinks enough of my son to buy this painting, to this person I give my entire estate. The auction was over. The greedy crowd walked away in shock and dismay. How many of us have sought after what we thought were true riches only to find out later that our father was prepared to give us his entire estate if we had only sought after his son alone. So that's a lesson in true riches. That's a lesson in what we treasure. Because what we treasure, while it feels like it can have value now, the question is, does it have value tomorrow and the day after and the year after and the eternity after? Is it something that's really bringing the, 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 the finest value that we possibly can bring? So it's an important, powerful, powerful lesson on perspective, Julie, just like you said before. So, so let's get back to the Apostle Paul, and let's kind of turn the pivot point. Okay, so Jonathan, he's saying, everything that I had, I count as loss. And he's saying, everything that I had is, is fit for the trash heap. But what? Well, Paul used his accomplishments trick to advance in his witnessing. Remember when he was thrown into prison with Silas? He basically was put before his accusers after he was whipped and thrown in prison to say, hey, I am a Roman citizen and you did this injustice against me. And think of how many people heard that and how scared people got when, uh-oh, we didn't know. And so he used his past to further the good news, the gospel. So what he did 
is he used the facts of his past where they were appropriate and left the feelings of his past behind because they were no longer worth treasuring. The fact is valuable and the fact comes into play, I'll use it. But the feeling, the attachment, no, 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 no. It's just meaningless now. So now let's look at Paul's transformation. Again, we're in Philippians chapter 3. We are now at verses 9 through 11. And may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so Paul's new life treasure was attractive and holy. And see, that's the adder that we have here. Recalibrating brings holiness into the picture for all of our treasures. And if our treasures can enhance true holiness, now we've got something. So it's, it was a surpassing value of knowing Jesus. So, okay, so we've got these three points. Again, attractiveness, the personal value, and the, the wealth. So, Julie, we're, we're going to begin to do our wrapping up. So, as you see fit, bring yourself in to, to put, put the comments in order in terms of, like, attractiveness. Give, just give me a sense of final statement, if you will, on the attractiveness of our treasures. How, what can we better do to make sure we're attracted to the right kinds of treasures? Well, you know, I think we need to be honest with ourselves. And one thing that I've learned through this word of thesaurus is sometimes we tell ourselves something that we use a different word and we can color it. So I I think we need to be honest and we need to say, if we've been called by God and set aside for his purpose, then having the latest this or that or giving into our baser desires gets us farther and farther from the character we want to have. So recalibrate. Okay. So be honest with ourselves. So the attractiveness of those things that we treasure in life, be honest. Why is it that you treasure it? Does it make you feel good? Does it remind you of something good? Does it give you a hope that that's really kind of a wish, but you want it to be a hope? I mean, what is it? And is it something that's bringing you forward in the largest treasure of your life? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Now, when it says all these things will be added to you, it doesn't mean everything's going to come to you like, you know, you're not going to get a bigger house. You're not going to get a bigger car. You're not going to just get. You will be cared for. That's what he's talking about. Be honest with yourself. So Paul's new life treasure had personal and holy value. Why, Jonathan? What was there about that that was so different? Well, Rick, loss was now gain. And his own faulty humanity was now fully covered by Jesus through faith. This is huge. Loss, the loss of all of his previous stature, was a gain to him. And his faulty humanity, and and Julie, you were addressing that earlier, is now covered by Jesus through faith. So the value, the holy value that he received from his new treasure so far outweighed the old one. It's like, yeah, I'm comparing. I'm comparing solid gold to a to a grain of sand. Goodness gracious! That, that you don't need, just come on. Let's move on. So, so Julie, 
our personal treasures and the value that they hold. Uh, how do we get to the ones that we want versus the ones that we should have and separate it all out? And what do we do? Well, I think this this lesson of the Apostle Paul, you know, he was really, if you look at it on paper, as bad as you can be for the Christian. Yeah. And yet, on the other side, he, he became as good as he could be. And I think this tells each and every one of us that is all mired in sin, we all have issues, that it's not so bad that we can't look at these examples. And I think, how deeply rooted are your treasures? Because if there are these, if there are, you know, these, these things of life that, that, that bog us down or that we're addicted to or whatever, uproot them. The things that we should be rooted in are, are the things that, that, are, that are permanent. Yeah, you know, our, what are we rooting for? <laughs> you know, really, that's, that's really what it should come down to. So, so good. You know, again, it's, it comes down to perspective. And finally, Paul's new life treasure had enormous and holy wealth. Jonathan, why so? Well, Ricky followed Christ to a heavenly and eternal resurrection by conforming to the sacrificial death of Jesus. Okay. So he was following Christ to something bigger and better and stronger. So Jonathan, what's our final treasure lesson? Our personal treasures of our thoughts, accomplishments, and our daily life can only be truly fulfilled when we seek the treasure of holiness and of the kingdom of God first. So it's a matter of what's the most important thing to you in your life that should dictate to you what your other treasures are. Julie, we're going to be starting the music, but I'm just going to ask you for some final thoughts here as we wrap up this conversation on treasures. Go ahead. I wanted to read Proverbs 38 through 9. Put far from me all false and foolish things. Do not give me great wealth or let me be in need, but give me only enough food for fear that if I'm full, I'll be false to you and say, who's the Lord? And if I'm poor, I become a thief using the name of God wrongly. All right. All right. Moderation. Julie, thanks for being with us. We appreciate it. Jonathan, good job as well. In terms of dealing with folks, what's important to you? What should be important to you? How do you focus on? What do you look at? What is your life driven by? It's driven by your treasures. Whether you know it or not or think of it or not, that's what drives you. So ask yourself, what is it that I am driven by? And then what is it that I think I can be driven by? in terms of godliness and following after Christ. For Jonathan, Rick, and Julian, Christian Questions, we'll be back again next week with another subject. Until then, treasure the right treasures. Think about it. Folks, look, we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions on iTunes or Google Play or all the other places. Coming up next week, we'll be talking about Christian and Single, what does life look like? We will talk to you again next week.